So what we found, it's no longer enough to be engaged. We actually have to have enabled people, which is bigger than empowerment. It means I'm supported. I have the right training, the right tools. It's time! Work! Play! I want to connect the listeners to the best of the best. Welcome to the Evolved Broker Podcast. I am your host, Pat Costello, the co-founder and principal of Evolve MGA. Our mission for the podcast is to bring the insurance industry the best of the best. My guest today is the world's best-selling author on culture and employee engagement. In 2021, Adrian was ranked as a top 10 global guru in leadership and organizational culture. He specialized in providing advice to the world's most successful organizations on building culture, managing change, and leading high-performance teams. He's the founder of the workplace training and consulting company, The Culture Works, and the author of the New York Times, USA Today, and Wall Street Journal bestsellers, All In, The Carrot Principle, Leading with Gratitude, and Anxiety at Work. His award-winning books, have been translated into 30 languages and have sold more than 1.5 million copies around the world. Company culture and employee engagement in the insurance industry have undergone massive changes in the last couple of years. I was really excited to chat with Adrian uh, about how we can get our company culture and employee engagement in the insurance industry to be the best it can possibly be. Without further ado, here's Adrian. Adrian. Welcome to the Evolved Broker Podcast. Hey, Patrick, I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for your interest in our work. Of course, of course. Where are you coming from today? Where, where are you recording? Park City, Utah, where it is snowing outside. And uh, so here we are in, you know, middle of November. And yeah, we got, we got a good amount of snow. Okay, okay. I'm coming to you from our Dallas office right now, uh, which I uh, am spending more time in, in the Dallas weather, I'm still getting used to. Um, no snow yet, but apparently it, it does come down here. I am fired up to chat with you today, though, because employee engagement and company culture are two massive topics in the insurance world, especially lately um, coming out of the pandemic. And I'm interested to chat with you because I know that this is your specialty. And you wrote some um, best selling books. One that stood out to me from the jump was the carrot principle. And um, I'm really interested in your thoughts on how the carrot principle applies to the insurance industry. Now, if, if someone hasn't read your book, how would you describe the carrot principle? Yeah, no, thanks, Patrick. Yeah, actually, we wrote the care principle. Oh, it's over a decade ago. So we actually did update that last year with a new book called Leading with Gratitude, which is sort of the latest research, the latest thinking on this. But the 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 concept still applies. And what happens is most of our organizations, you know, you're working, we're especially today. You know, the economy up and down. There's so many worries. We just get so stressed on serving clients, uh, making sure we make sales, etc. We forget the people who are actually helping us get this done. And that's really the, the idea with this. 
And so when we wrote, actually leading with gratitude, which updates the idea, what we were seeing is people actually know that recognition is important, that care principle, but they actually either don't know how to do it or they just get so busy that they forget. And so really this idea is about seeing the value that's being created around you, all the shoulders you stand on, and helping people feel valued. You know, you help me feel valued as an employee, I'm going to work a lot harder for you. It's just common sense. And yet, this is the one thing as leaders we tend to forget. Mm-hmm. You guys studied some big name brand companies and around 200,000 folks to learn about um, employee recognition and meaningful rewards. Can you talk about how you guys implemented the study in the carrot principle to see what worked and what didn't when it came to employee engagement? Yeah, and I'll talk even more. Since Care, Care Principle now is over a decade old, we've right. continued to study. So now we've we've actually researched more than 850,000 people. Um, and what we find is, you now Chester and I, my co-author and I, we can go into an organization and there are lever- levers we can pull to, to, to move engagement levels up. One of them is this idea of recognition. Um, other ideas are making sure people understand the vision of the organization, where we're going. Um, another is, is my voice heard, et cetera. But this is such low-hanging fruit, making sure that people feel recognized. And with all these hundreds of thousands of people we have, and yes, we have lots of financial services in there. Um, typically, when we work with insurance companies, they're bigger organizations. Um, you know, We've worked with some of the name brands in, uh, in, in insurance, and as we go into different locations, you know, there's a very different feel sometimes in the, you know, the Cincinnati office here over on this side of the road versus, you know, a couple of blocks away. And you know that when you walk into an office, you can tell if it's firing in all cylinders, if people are engaged. Yep. And one of the simple things that managers do is they make sure that people feel valued. There's no doubt about that. Is there a good example of a company or a manager showing frequent and effective recognition in like a structured way? Is there a way like if, you know, if I'm a manager in the insurance world, I can look out and I can say like, okay, this is how I, this is how I want to plan my, my feedback and my recognition and plan my reward systems. Yeah, because I'll give you one. Uh, knowing that I was going to chat with you today about insurance, I was thinking back to one organization we worked with, a big insurance company, and we were at their headquarters. And what we were looking for were um, organ- or, you know, teams that had higher levels of engagement. And so we went into one team. They, they, they represented the Midwest. So this is the, the customer service team. They're answering phones, and they're, they're covering for the Midwest. And there were groups that represented the West and the Northeast and et cetera. But this group had the highest levels of employee engagement. So we wanted to know what they were doing differently. And as we, as we interviewed the employees, we did focus groups, they said, look, we are facing the same challenges as everybody else around here. We have, uh, we have this antiquated workflow system that's really frustrating how we process claims. Um, so our manager, she has us focus in on quality because we can't control speed. Even though the company's screaming for speed, 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 we can't control that. And she tells us that. 
Nobody else is any faster than you. So relax on that. Focus in on quality. So when she recognizes us, she recognizes us for the quality of the claims we're putting through. She recognizes us for, for heroics of, of the way we treat our customers. If we hit a monthly goal with uh, you know, the, you know, the speed in answering our phones, we can control that part of speed. We can control the speed of the, pro of the flow. So very simply, this manager was really focusing in on what she could control, what their employees could control, and recognizing around that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. If I'm a manager that's looking to make sure my, my employees are super engaged, super happy, super fulfilled, is there a way that you go about structuring constructive praise? Like, you know, should I be thinking about the reward systems or should I be thinking about on a, a daily or a weekly basis of making sure that I'm giving constructive praise in certain ways or is it project based? Tell me about constructive praise and the best way that it's implemented. Yeah. That's a great question. It's actually a bigger question because you think, oh, praise, you know, just, oh, good work, Patrick. Right. Um, actually, general praise has very little impact. If my manager walks by and says, oh, good work, you know, you kind of think he's got no idea what I'm doing. You know, I've got 50 things in the fryer here. I'm da, 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 da. General praise has little to no impact. Um, what has impact is when we are very specific about these are our most important values around here. You know, maybe you've got three, four, five values. You know, it's never missed delivery. It's, it's customer satisfaction, et cetera. You reward to those things. So your praise isn't hollow. When you look at the word recognition, cognition means to know, re means again. So basically you're knowing something again. So you are gathering people together and you're saying, let me tell you what happened yesterday. Susan had an angry customer call in, claim wasn't going through, is it da, da, da. Susan turned this customer around. By the end of the call, this customer is never going anywhere else. So you start thinking about, you're telling the story. Now, unfortunately, some managers think recognition is secret. I'm gonna recognize, because I don't want everybody else to be jealous. That's wrong. Your recognition is public. Hmm. Criticism is private. So as you recognize, you are reinforcing the core values of your team, but you've got to have core values. And if you don't have them, work on those and you can use your team, say what matters most around here, start with three things. And that's as your praise. So what you're trying to do is being frequent, specific, and timely. You know, frequent is, I'm not going to get jealous because I know that recognition is happening a lot around here. Specific is I know this person's being recognized for one of our core values that matters the most. And it's timely. You know, we don't wait to recognize. You know, mm -hmm. how long does it take you to get in touch with somebody who's done something bad on your team? Probably about 10 seconds. Right. How long does it take you to get in touch with somebody who's done something right? That's where we fall short as managers. Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, there's no doubt there could be a delay there. I think that you just dropped some serious gems frequent and specific and timely feedback tell the story and man i think the one that stood out to me most was recognition should be public and criticism should be private i think that those are some takeaways that that i've been in a lot of roles where those things have not been implemented so I, i'm sure that there's a lot of folks that can benefit from those i was gonna i was gonna go next into rewards and i think the the most natural reward that someone thinks about in a given role is probably their bonus, right? Their annual bonus. And yeah. you talk a lot about meaningful rewards. 
Is there an example of a meaningful reward outside of a, um, a, a bonus that could come in a specific amount of dollars? Is there different types of meaningful rewards that you think are useful? Yeah, this is a really interesting question because if you ask employees, uh, how should I reward you? It's money, money, money. I don't care if it's five bucks. Just give me the money. Give me the money. And and what we find is, though, unless it's several thousand dollars or more, uh, like a bonus, um, people have no recollection of where money goes. Mm -hmm. uh, in fact, we did a research study once with American Express that, you know, these guys are used to giving money. And they found that most of the time people used any small amounts of bonus on paying bills. But the number one answer was, I don't know what I used it for. It just gets, it just gets out there, you it's know, lost. pays a visa bill or whatever. Yeah, yeah. lost. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of in the, you know, the big chunk. Mm -hmm. And so if you're going to give somebody a lot of cash, you know, a couple of thousand more, of course, give them the money. They will know that that'll make a big impact. Smaller amounts, though, what we typically find is find a way to do something more meaningful. If it's just a small amount, you know, don't give somebody, you know, $50. It's not going to make any impact on their lives. You could probably find something that was meaningful to them for that $50. I mean, whether it's something, you know, if it's a food basket that's delivered to their house that their family gets to enjoy, well, that's made a bit of an impact. You know, I had a, one recently where, you know, um, a manager said, you know, she says, I, I sent little gift baskets to people's houses with a nice specific note. Mm -hmm. Thanks for, you know, family member working so hard over this season, you know, uh, da, 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 you know, just explaining what this person had done. She says, I had a manager or one of my people popped his head in on Monday morning and she said, hey, did your, did your family get the basket? And he says, yeah, yeah, they want me to work harder for you now, you know. And so it's just simple little things, right? Yeah. I, I remember... Uh, you know, one manager told me, look, he says, I had a, I had one of my employees as a, you know, really rabid cyclist. And so, you know, kind of the end of the year, I could have given him a, you know, hundred dollar bonus, but I, I found a really new, cool cycling helmet. And and he says, he was like in tears when he got this. Wow. He says, How did you know? This is, this is so meaningful. Uh, just simple little things, right? But it's getting to know your people mm -hmm. and what will really matter the most to them. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, I think it goes back to gift giving in general. Like it's the thought that counts. I mean, when you actually take the time, and I think that's the issue is like, it's easy for managers to not take the time to think about the folks that they're managing and just throw a dollar figure at them or, you know, just because it sounds like that's what they might want. But at the end of the day, if you really, like, for example, instead of giving, um, you know, a, a 300, 400, $500 bonus, but you know this person is a big Dallas Mavericks fan or Dallas Stars fan. We're right down the street from American Airlines Center. Yeah. Why not? Why not use the tickets? And that's actually yeah. it's that's something that we we use um, with the uh, a lot of brokers we work with. Just because I also think that has a huge impact on relationships and in the insurance industry, we're in the relationship business, so yeah. it's yeah. it's prime for it. Yeah, you're talking about experiences, and I love that idea because sometimes, by the way, you might not have to, you know, give a penny out. Um, it might be that, uh, you know, if you're in a bigger insurance, in you know, company, for example, you know, your employee might want some time with the the boss, the CEO, to, you know, maybe they want to work on a really coolest new assignment or cross-functional team. You know, there may be things that you can do. Maybe it's, you know, if you're in a smaller brokerage, it's maybe it's time off to be with their family. That some of these things might not cost you anything mm -hmm. if you get to know the person. Unfortunately, you know, and I could give you lots of examples of, 
you know, times that, you know, managers just get kind of miss the mark. You know, one manager, you know, she said, I'm going to give all my people at the end of the year a pewter bowl. I said, why? She goes, because everybody loves pewter bowls. <laughs> like, well, you love pewter bowls. And, uh, you know, or, or the, the manager who gave everybody uh, hams at the end of the year. Well, this is in New York. Like half his employees were Jewish, you know, but he loved hams. And he had this great place that had really cool hams. It's like, okay. <laughs> you yeah. Know? You got to know uh, your audience. You got to know your audience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, are there any shifts that you think the insurance world should make now that we are in a more virtual environment than we were pre pandemic, any shifts in the type of recognition that we give to drive employee engagement that are different in a, in a more virtual environment than a office environment? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, in this virtual world and a lot of the customers, a lot of the clients that I work with, you know, it, we're no longer, you know, five days a week, 10 hours a day in the office. The people are, whether it's flexing, whether it's more hybrid work, et cetera. So there's, you know, one thing is when people are coming into the office, you're, you're trying to make that work more rewarding. So that actually, we used to do what we call parallel work. I'd work next to somebody, but I would never interact with them most days. Well, now that is actually part of a reward is that making sure that the time you spend there is actually meaningful that we're working together when we are in the office. That's a little bit of a reward, mm-hmm. um, you know. And again, in leading with gratitude, the the new book that we wrote, we talked a lot about different ways that you can reward people in this virtual world. One is that you you see and you listen for input, and you know if you actually listen to my ideas and you give me feedback, whether you use them or not, that is actually a reward. That and that's something in this virtual world we can actually do. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end of a meeting, well, hey, we got five minutes. Let's just go around. Let's make sure that I'm hearing everybody's ideas. You know, Patrick, what did you hear from this meeting? What do you feel like we're missing? Mm-hmm. You know, what would you challenge? Very simple, but that's a reward. You know, there are ways that we can think about this in very small ways. You know, when you when you think of recognition, sometimes we think we gotta you know, it's a big party. We got to give them the keys to a European sports car. No, mm-hmm. it's, it's small little ways that we're recognizing people. Mm-hmm. So are you making sure that you're being maybe a little bit more creative in how you're seeing the value around pulling out the best ideas from your people and recognizing maybe in unique ways in this, in this virtual world? Okay. I love it. There's a lot of things I can take out of this. Um, and I think that we could implement in, our insurance business for, for driving employee engage, engagement. One of my favorite topics that you write a lot about is company culture. And obviously employee engagement has, it, it is a driver of company culture, but what do you see as the differences between employee engagement and company culture? Like what, what is the line between the two? Yeah, no, it's a really, you know, it's a subtle question. It's a good mm-hmm. one because, um, Culture is this this big idea of, you know, do I feel like I belong? Uh, do, how do we behave with each other? When you think of culture overall, you know, it's who are we, where are we going, how do we get there? Very simple ideas. I want to know as an employee, who are we as an organization, mm-hmm. where are we going, what's our vision, and how do we get there is how we interact with each other. How, now, engagement is part of that. So we wrote a book called All In, and this was, again, several more hundred thousands of interviews. And what we found is engagement is part of this idea. Now, everybody listening could probably give me a definition of employee engagement. We all want that. 
And yet most of us don't really know how to move that, that number. So what we found, it's no longer enough to be engaged. We actually have to have enabled people, which is bigger than empowerment. It means I'm supported. I have the right training, the right tools, and my equipment at my disposal, mm -hmm. and I am empowered. So I'm engaged, I'm enabled, and if I'm not enabled, but I am engaged, it's a little like a hamster spinning on a wheel. I've got nowhere to go. So you got to enable me. The, the third idea is that I've got to be energized. Mm. And sometimes in financial services, we see this, you know, I'm really excited at the beginning of the year. I just got my bonus. I'm on donor. And then we kind of ebb our, our energy levels over the year. And what we need to do is we help people keep that energy level up by helping people understand the mission of what we're doing here. Mm -hmm. We're not just selling insurance. We're making people's lives better. We're protecting. We are, et cetera. You talk about how you are making lives better, mm -hmm. real people's lives. That's what keeps me going day after day. And so those three ideas, engaged, enabled, and energized, drive high-performance cultures. That's what we found from all these hundreds of thousands of interviews. Yeah. And as we extrapolated out, we found, yeah, there's some steps the managers can take to drive those, but you can no longer think of engagement alone. You have to think of the, the triumvirate here, engaged, enabled, and energized. That's something that you talked about earlier that I think you can feel when you walk into an office, like you walk into Cincinnati, you can feel the energy. You can feel the engagement. You can, you can feel the um, cohesiveness between employees and how they're collaborating and how they're working together. So I think that's a great place to, to have everybody start. You also talk about like a culture of belief in, in fostering a culture of belief and you have a roadmap for it. Can you briefly walk us through how any organization can establish a culture of belief? Yeah, because you, you don't want just people to be, you know, punching a ticket and, you know, coming in each day and punching their, their clock to, to try and make a paycheck. A lot of people are, though. They don't really care whether we survive or thrive as an organization. It's, it's really about them. So how do you get them to buy in and believe? Well, the first part, and now and I mentioned in All In, we, we had these three E's that we found in the research, and we actually wrote the book for Simon & Schuster about those three E's, and I have a brilliant editor there, and she sent the manuscript back with two words at the top. So what? She said, it's really interesting. She says, but what do I do with that? If I'm running a small insurance yeah. agency in Des Moines, how do I get these three E's? So we actually had to go further back into the data to find what those managers did. Just, just exactly what you're saying, to get people to believe. Mm -hmm. You know, at American Express, one of our clients, you know, to bleed blue, that American Express blue. So how do you do that? Or at Avis, mm -hmm. uh, you know, bleed that red of, America, or of Avis red. So how do you get that? So the first step we found was that you really have to have people understand the burning platform. So in other words, you know, I'm standing on an oil derrick in the North Sea and, and the oil derrick is burning behind me but it's about a hundred foot jump into the, in the scary water below. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna make that jump unless something pretty drastic is happening behind me. Yeah. Well, the point is, we as human beings, we're not gonna change the way we keep doing things unless you give me a pretty compelling reason. You're not frightening people, but you are letting them know, look, we've got to start acting in new ways. Mm -hmm. Now, 
every organization I've ever gone into tells me, now we're going through a lot of change here. Uh, like, like they're the only ones. Right. Every organization is going through change, right? You're trying to, you're putting in new systems. You're trying to do things in new ways to get your people, you know, motivated to, to, to increase sales, et cetera. Everybody's going through change. Yep. But I'm not going to do things in new ways unless you tell me why we need to do it this way. Mm how I'm going to act in certain ways, and what is the benefit for me as well as our clients. So that's really where it begins, is to find the burning platform, and then there's there's processes around the edge of, you know, be more agile and give me more communication that you've ever given me before. Make me feel like a partner in mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. So I actually have a voice. Um, recognize me when I make every step forward and hold me accountable, but do it in positive ways. So there is a process that we go through, but it has to begin with, give me the rationale behind the decision and how this affects me. I appreciate you laying that out because I think a lot of folks in our industry have never, never considered it. And I think company culture, I think that, I think one of the most frustrating parts when people mention company culture is it seems like it's a little bit hard to define and hard to measure. Um, one of my favorite books is um, by Ben Horowitz, and it's uh, who you are is what you do about company culture. And I, I think that he does a good job of laying it out there. I think that your roadmap is a great way to make it a lot more specific, definable, and go through each task. So I highly recommend it for um, folks in the insurance industry that are um, building a business or looking to optimize their business in, in their company culture. Take hold of the company culture. Um, like I said, one of my favorite topics Okay, and so obviously you, you are a very well-accomplished author, and I, the other one that stood out to me was The Orange Revolution, and you talk about how um, only 20% of teams are working at their optimal capacity, and I think that is right in line with the Pareto Principle, and I'm curious as to what, what your findings were. Why do you think that only 20% of teams are working at their opti optimal cap capacity, excuse me, and how can we improve that? You know, and it's, it is a frightening statistic as we, as we see that, but most executives go, yeah, oh, yeah I, I don't argue with that, mm -hmm. yeah. because we do, we waste so much time. So the two issues that I hear the most, and we've written actually two books on teamwork, the latest was The Best Team Wins, which we did a couple of years ago with Simon Schuster, and you know, really the best team does win, right? Mm -hmm. and, and it's typically not the team with the most talented people. We see that in, in sports, et cetera. Yeah, like the Lakers. The exactly, yeah. <laughs> you think of, I mean, I was just watching the Lakers the other night. I was going, you know, you got, you know, Anthony Davis, you got LeBron James, right. you got Westbrook, you got this amazing team mm -hmm. uh, with three kind of superstars that are losing. And, and what is it that about that? Well, what we found as we looked at great teams, is there's two things typically that are there that are missing on those other teams. And they are communication and collaboration. Sounds really obvious, right? Mm -hmm. But great teams communicate a lot more than others. In fact, as we studied these teams, we found in a typical week that most people will feel like their voice is heard about an average, you know, about the same as others. Mm -hmm. in, in lower performing teams, there's typically a couple of voices that have the most say, you know, and, and so you've probably been on those teams where, oh yeah, yeah, you know, so-and-so is, is the number one salesperson, prima donna, mm -hmm. but you know, they're bringing in all this business. So they, 
And, and that is actually not a high-performing team over time. Yeah, that person may be great, but they are actually undercutting your culture in many ways. Yeah. Um, you know what's so funny, Adrian? That, yeah. that is almost, <laughs> I'm biased here, but I feel like we talked about the Lakers. Maybe that's a little bit of a, a reflection of potentially LeBron. I'm a Warriors fan, and it's, it seems to me from the outside looking in, there's a little bit more selflessness and a little bit more... You talk about communication and collaboration, but it's it's not necessarily, you know, um, I need to be the guy to make this happen. I need to be the prima donna that's bringing in the sales. I need to be the face of this. I need to be this or that. Um, I think that, uh, that just the when you're talking about this, it makes me think about the Warriors versus the Lakers. I'm a Warriors fan, so I, I am biased, but uh, that's what immediately <laughs> comes to mind. And, uh, you know, and, and for those non-sports fans here, we apologize, but there are leadership <laughs> lessons. There are leadership lessons in here, actually. I'm, you know, in Park City, Utah, so mm-hmm. Utah Jazz fan, who traded away all their stars this year to tank to, you know, to get this uh, this French kid who, you know, is just amazing. Uh-huh. And they, they're, they're number one in the league. <laughs> they've won every game. And yeah. why? Because they've got these young guys who who just will do whatever the coach says. And so they're flying around the, you know, the court, you know, doing everything they possibly can to win every game. And they are. Mm-hmm. And so it's amazing what happens now. Now, talent does matter. Of course, we want to make sure we have good talent, um, but you can't send a bunch of prima donnas out there. Mm-hmm. So how do you manage this? So that really is where, you know, communication is very important. Everybody has to have a voice. And the other idea is this idea of collaboration. Are we working together? Or do people feel like on the team they're they're competing with each other? Mm. And unfortunately, a lot of managers do this. You know, they they pit people against each other versus competing with the other insurance agency across the street. That's who we should be competing against. Yeah. And yet we do this unwittingly. And so many times we have the sales contest and we're competing with every, each other. No, mm-hmm. you're competing with the outside, not the inside. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've talked about employee engagement, how to drive that. We've talked about company culture and the roadmap to optimizing company culture. We talked about um, high performance teams. And then you mentioned your new book, um, Leading with Gratitude. I would love to learn a little bit more about that book and what you think the insurance industry can take away uh, from a leadership standpoint. How do we lead with gratitude and what advice would you give folks that are leading, whether it's in a, a management pos- uh, position, uh, in a production position, or in a um, agency owner position, anything like that? How can we lead with gratitude? Yeah, we began this book a couple of years ago. Uh, Marshall Goldsmith, who wrote the book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There, a great book. Um, he's He's been our mentor for many years. And so Chester and I were sitting around with Marshall and and we just started talking. Isn't it interesting? You know what? You know what? We're also executive coaches, mm-hmm. and so we work with a lot of CEOs. You know, mid-level leaders, etc. And what we said, isn't it interesting? Every time we're asked to work with somebody who's trying to make that leap, maybe a CEO who's trying to to get more engagement, maybe it's a mid-level leader who wants to become a senior leader, that they are so focused in on the KPIs, hitting their bottom lines, etc. They forget the human side. And, and so we have to get them started on this, this mm-hmm. idea of gratitude. We have to get them thinking about, well, who's helped you get to where you're going? Who's going to help you get to that next level? And, and we have them start seeing more. They start seeing the people in their lives who are creating value around them 
and and starting thanking them, but in very specific ways. And as we've mentioned earlier, with with rewards that are meaningful to them. So that's where we begin this process. And but it's it's really quite amazing how much we get so focused in on on our day to day kind of lives. So we we miss this. So so the idea with leading with gratitude, first and foremost, it's about seeing. Then it's about expressing our our gratitude in in many meaningful ways coordinated and related to our to our values. So mm-hmm. so the first part of the seeing, you know, we have some steps in there. We talk about like, you know, recognizing people for their, you know, pulling the best ideas out of them. You know, making sure that we walk in their shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, one one insurance company we work walk we 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 interviewed um, their leaders make sure that you know their senior executive team again big insurance company mm-hmm. their senior executive team makes sure they spend at least one day every year working in one of their locations in one of the roles. So yeah. you know they're they're answering phones. They are they are processing claims. They spend the entire day doing this. And, and it's, you know, you think, oh, it's only one day a year, but it's really meaningful because then they go back and they talk about, yeah, you boy, the frustrations of this process flow. IT, we really need to start working on mm-hmm. It's amazing how that one day makes a big impact. Mm-hmm. So that idea of, you know, you start seeing before you start recognizing, because sometimes otherwise we're again, just recognizing for things that are important to us, but that may not be as important to our team. So this really is a holistic way of looking at leadership. That's something every company should do. And you know, honestly, it's it's so valuable because like you said, I think things change all the time, especially with technology and processes and protocols and the ways of getting things done are constantly changing. I I know in in, in my organization, it's like we made so many changes in the last six months. It's like the the way we get something done is completely different. And so understanding that employee's perspective of, you know, what does it take to get something done? Where are the uh, drags? Where are the issues? Um, how can we make those better? I mean, that's it. That's something I'm sure most organizations are not doing that they should be. So that's, that's cool to hear that it's going on in the insurance world. So absolutely. You know, it's, it's fun to see organizations that are realizing, in fact, I just published today an article in Forbes called The Rebel Leader. And, and what I'm seeing is that, unfortunately, in too many locations that I'm working with, too many organizations, mm-hmm. the best managers are sort of breaking the rules. They're working mm-hmm. underneath, you know, and they're, they're being a little bit of rebels because, you know, they're finding ways to really take care of their people uh, because, organizations overall, leaders, HR, et cetera, aren't responding to, to this quiet quitting, the great resignation, all these things. They don't know how to deal with this. And so the best managers, they're putting a focus like a laser on their people. Yeah. You know, are they giving them a voice? Are they listening to their stories? Are they are they being more empathetic? We we also wrote a book recently called Anxiety at Work, which we've all got. And and we're talking about about being an empathetic leader. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you'd asked, we'd had done this conversation a couple of years ago before the pandemic. I'd be talking to you about you know, again, recognition, about vision, about execution. Mm-hmm. Now, if you don't have empathy as a leader, the other stuff doesn't matter. So all this great stuff we've been talking about, you got to develop empathy as a leader as well. Mm-hmm. What are some of the most common areas where you think people are feeling anxiety at work in the new virtual environment that we live in now? Well, and that, you know, it's, it's, it's a great question because first and foremost, 
uh, uncertainty, right? Uh, the economy's up, the economy's down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm in insurance, uh, am I affected by interest rates going going crazy? People aren't buying as many houses, et cetera. There's a lot of things that I'm uncertain about. And unfortunately, leaders will say, well, we talked about that. We had a meeting when we saw interest rates rising back in the summer. We had a meeting and no, no, we've covered that. And I'll tell them, great. What have you said this week mm-hmm. about that? What have you said this week about the threats that are facing the insurance industry? Because if you haven't done something this week and next week and the week after, then you people are going to worry. We fill in quiet vacuums with worry. That's what mm-hmm. we do as human beings. Mm-hmm. Our brains as humans are not wired to keep us happy. They're wired to keep us safe. So that's what we do. We look for threats and we worry about those. Mm-hmm. Even though you've told us not to worry three months ago, I'm worrying today. So first off, where are we going as an organization? How are we facing these threats? Mm-hmm. Secondly, how am I doing? Uh, simple, right? But you want to bring down my anxiety levels. Tell me how I'm really doing. No, 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 you're doing great. No, no. How am I doing? Where can I where can I push? Where can I expand? Where can I stretch? Be real. And am I doing well? Yeah. And and finally, do I have a future here, right? Yeah. Um, do you feel like I'm an important part of this team? We did one interesting study once on why high achievers left. And the number one answer was nobody ever asked me to stay. You know, nobody told me how valuable I was. Mm. So really simple things you can start doing to bring down my anxiety levels. You know, that's that's really where it begins. Okay, great. Well, Adrian, I know that you give a lot of speeches and you do a lot of consulting and you do a lot of um, training with folks. If if folks wanted to access you for any of those things, is there a good place for them to find you? Uh, yeah, please uh, look us up on thecultureworks.com. Thecultureworks.com is there where we have all of our materials and there's lots of free resources out there too that you can download some chapters of books and, and things like that as well. And and you can learn more about us. So thanks for asking, Patrick. Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Of course. I think investing in company culture is something that might be last on some folks' list, but I think that once they do it, it uh, it's just fun for everybody involved. It's, it just makes every day so much more exciting. So that's why I wanted to chat with you. And I think um, I really appreciate all the insight that you provided today. The final section that we have here that we uh, like to finish things off with is five rapid fire questions. So um, I can jump into these and you can answer these as short or as long as you'd like. Yeah. When, when, when you say go, I'm ready to go. All right, go. Okay. What company do you think has the best culture in the world. In the world. Wow. wow. That's a big one. <laughs> you know, um, you know, there, there are so many that, that try really well. Um, you know, we've worked a lot with Disney that do a lot of things really well. And that's a really hard industry actually to bring in tens of thousands or, you know, millions a year of, of people who are, have high expectations. Mm-hmm. They do a really good job of that over a long period of time. So I think they've they've done really well at that. So yeah, I, I would say they've they've done really well. Apple has done uh, done fairly well over over long period of time. Yeah, you know, creating innovation and creating a really innovative, you know, high performing culture. So there's some some that I'm you know I think they've done fairly well. Okay. Okay. Cool. You've lived a lot of places. Um, I think uh, a good amount internationally as well. What made you move to Park City? Um, you know, this is, uh, this is, um, you know, has kind of the best of all worlds. There's got skiing, there's, uh, 
There's Southern Utah here, which I love as well, which is, uh, you know, amazing hiking, red rocks mm -hmm. and what have you. So it's just, it's a, it's a good uh, kind of kind of mix of all, all uh, kind of environments. Again, we've got snow right now here in November and, you know, and nice warm summers. So, you know, you know, all four seasons. I need to make a trip to Red Rocks by really jealous. My brother saw Tom Petty there and I have oh, not, cool. uh, not been able to make a trip yet, but I will. I think that we kind of went through this one, but the next question that we had laid out here is um, what book of yours do you think is most relevant right now? I'm interested in your thoughts. Yeah. You know, I, I would say anxiety at work is the most relevant right now. Um, and yet, as we've covered, you know, leading with gratitude is is sort of the, that positivity. All in is about culture. So those three are the ones that we're we're working the most with, speaking the most about. Probably if I had to pick one, though, it's it's that idea of anxiety work. Yeah. And it's it's how you bring down anxiety levels. Right now, from what we can see, 40% of people in their 20s have a diagnosable anxiety disorder. Wow. And 90% of them will not talk about it at work because of the stigma. So you, you know, managers may say, no, no, my people talk to me about everything except this because they think it's going to you know carry them or you know carry around with them and yet as we we interviewed people in their 20s for for this book to a person they say the younger people say we talk about our mental health in every conversation with each other mm -hmm. with you oldies we never talk about it because you guys just don't get it wow. so we've got to change that conversation that was an incredible stat that you threw out in the beginning what was that stat again 42% of actually people in their 20s have uh, a diagnosable anxiety disorder right now. So, so imagine 40 plus percent of people in their 20s come into your office every day with a broken arm, but we don't talk about broken arms when we see broken. Arms. Yeah. No, that's just ridiculous. We would make, we would talk about that. We would make, you know, some sort of mm -hmm. concessions for that. We would help them. Mm -hmm. Well, we've got to start that with mental health as well. Okay. Question number four, you have a book called Leaning with Gratitude, as we discussed. Is there a leader that you studied that exemplifies leading with gratitude if you had to pick one? Yeah. Oh, you know, one of the best leaders we've ever worked with was at American Express. She's uh, She runs the uh, Fort Lauderdale location. It's one of their call centers. Her name's Doria Camaraza. Um, and it's for the high-end, uh, you know, in customers uh, who have American Express cards. And she just, you know, we sat actually with her leadership one one day and we put white, you know, these, you know, sheets you rip off up on the board. We we must have written out a couple hundred things mm -hmm. that, uh, that she was and her team were doing to recognize their people. It was just amazing. One of my favorites, they called um, Tribute where every month they, they shut down all the phones, 3,000 people in her facility. And she knows every one of their names, by the way. It's phenomenal. And their story. That's nuts. So all uh, it is. All these people, you know, I know it's three shifts a day, but she does this for each of the shifts. All these people looking out, uh, you know, four stories high, all watching her down in the foyer and her team. They all come dancing out to like Lady Gaga. Uh, and they're making silly fools of themselves. They're all middle-aged executives. And then they recognize eight people. So there's eight core divisions from this group, they recognize eight people who went above and beyond the previous month and they tell the story. Mm. And it, the whole meeting takes like 20 minutes. It's all really well orchestrated. Mm -hmm. uh, the first guy up is a guy named Mike who, who had a customer land in a new city, realized he didn't have his credit card in his wallet. 
So they found him a hotel that would take him without the card, a rental car company that would take him. And so they told the story. But really quickly, Mike has a chance to respond, thanking everybody who helped him. And then they go on. Eight those little stories each take about a minute or a minute and a half. And they play a little game of minute to win it at the end for a little fun. And the whole meeting, 20 minutes, but the energy level is just through the roof. And people know when you go above and beyond around here, you're recognized. It's great. That's so cool. That That's something that we're specifically looking to foster ourselves is just highlighting and celebrating those above and beyond moments because it's just so, it's cool for everybody, right? It's cool for the the person that did it and then it's cool for the, the customer that got to experience it. And um, I think it's just such a, a great building block for um, a high performing team. Final question for you, Adrian. What are you most excited for in 2023? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question because Chester and I, uh, my co-author and I, we every year we kind of say, okay, so what, yeah, what are we going to focus in on this year? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, really it's, you know, for, for us, it's, you know, it's really thinking about the next part of our journey. And, you know, we're, we're, you know, Jester's in his mid sixties. I'm in my, you know, now mid to late fifties. And, and so we're starting to think, yeah, what are we, how do we transition ourselves? And I think we're all thinking that in our lives. How do we, how do we make this transition? And, And that's big questions, but we need to start thinking about it right now. You know, as we we sometimes get to, you know, help leaders make that transition, say, from CEO to retired, and it's hard. Mm-hmm. So do you have purpose? You know, do you have um, structure in your life as you start making these transitions? That's what we need to start thinking about. And we're just starting that process. It may be five years from now. It may be more. But we're starting to ask ourselves, yeah, what does the future look like? And I think it's something we can all ask. Yep. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for spending some time with me today. I know we went over some major topics and um, a few of your books and, you know, we we really stayed high level. I think that we could do a massive deep dive on a particular topic and I'm really excited to see the audience's feedback in terms of, of an area we could go next. And, you know, potentially if you guys are looking to write another book as it, as it comes out in the future, um, it could be something that... Um, looking through the lens of the insurance world and how it applies to the insurance world is something I would love to explore. So uh, that said, Adrian, um, everyone knows where they can find you based on what you said previously. And uh, we'll make sure we have all the notes set up together. And uh, I will plan on talking to you very soon. Great. Thanks, Patrick. It's been really fun and you're a great interviewer. And uh, yeah, good luck with the with the podcast and everything you're doing as well. Thanks for all you're doing for, for all the brokers in your care. Of course. Thanks, Adrian. Take care. All right. We are good to go. Um, awesome. Thanks. Yeah. Hopefully that was uh, super simple and easy and we, um, we will put all the content together and we'll make sure you have access to all of it. And uh, man, I, I, I seriously am fired up to, uh, take a look at our company culture, anything we can do to optimize it. But I'm, man, the insurance industry is so complacent when yeah, it comes, yeah, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. So this yeah. is a great message. Um, so again, Adrian, if there's anything you need in the meantime, thanks. Appreciate don't hesitate it. to reach out. Um, I'm typically in Dallas. If you ever make the trip down to Dallas, I'm here. Uh, would love to catch up. And um, I can't believe how often I've been to Dallas this year. Oh yes. And, and I think it's cause it's kind of in the middle it's a hub, yep. uh, you know, good, pretty good weather, you know, that people uh-huh. can get in there, 
And so I like every month I've been a couple of times to Dallas. I think my wife thinks I've got a I've got a <laughs> second family there, but it's like no. This is... Yeah, you know it's it's funny. So I I was in San Francisco for like almost ten years, and uh, you know we're we're starting up a Dallas office here. Um, the taxes are are way more advantageous. It's the sen- oh, yeah. We work with insurance. We probably we work with about three thousand insurance agencies across the U.S. And so just being on the Central Time Zone is a big deal as well yeah. to be able to deal with both coasts in yeah. you know not be uh having too many issues on one side or the other so right. um yeah it's been fun but yeah if you come through would love to catch up for coffee or a drink or something like that and uh just to say thank you um so but uh but other than that yeah we'll be in touch um cool yeah we'll reach out sounds great thanks patrick and thanks again for uh yeah having me on appreciate it of course thanks adrian take care bye please download subscribe, and leave a review on whatever platform you are listening on. And feel free to reach out to me at pat at evolvedbrokerpodcast.com with any comments or suggestions for the podcast. Today's episode is sponsored by First Insurance Funding. First is the leading premium finance company in insurance and is known throughout the industry for their personalized service and quote flexibility. If you're tired of sending quote requests for smaller premiums to multiple companies, not leaving enough time to negotiate larger opportunities, then choose FIRST as your primary financing source and experience the FIRST difference today. 